Liz the Cape Podcast, episode 128. Good morning. Today it is Wednesday, January 24th, and what a day it has been so far. Hopefully everybody is doing well and hanging in there. A couple of reminders before we get into our episode. Today's a great episode. It is with Neil Brown, our second man that we interviewed for the podcast, and he is actually a family therapist. He's also an author and a podcaster, and this is a great, great episode talking about power struggles with your children and how to um, how to not have them, things that ways that you can get around them, tools and resources to help you communicate with your children better. We're focusing largely on um, teens and tweens in this particular episode as part of our uh, movement towards launch day of our third Lose the Cape book, which is Lose the Cape, Ain't Nothing But a Teen Thing. And it's meant to be kind of a guidebook, handbook, or just kind of a, hey, you got this, we're with you also a book for parents who are about to enter the teen and tween realm. Um, anyway, Dr. Brown provides some great information to us, answers all of our questions about how you raise empowered children without the power struggles, how you help them develop, how you, um, uh, whether or not you should be their best friends or, you know, how you have a relationship in which your kids will actually talk to you without crossing the lines that you shouldn't be crossing as a parent and, um, you know, tools and resources to be able to do these things. So it's a it's a fantastic ap- episode. I wanted to remind you guys that next week is our first official book club, um, live book club event. This month we are reading The uh, Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. And we have a link to that if you haven't purchased it in our um, show notes. But we will go live. We're going to try something new. We're going to actually go live and record live at the same time um, on Facebook and through Blog Talk Radio. So this is going to be kind of fun and exciting, and hopefully it won't be a complete disaster. But uh, Nancy and I are super stoked about this episode. Both of us love this book. We hope that um, if there's anyone in the audience who wants to join us as part of the live recording and the live book club to discuss the book, we are inviting you to do so and uh, just either comment on the on the blog post of this episode, which you can find at losethecape.com forward slash podcast forward slash 128, or hop over to our Facebook group and let us know that you want to be included. We will also um, post the the link where you can join us when we are getting ready to go live. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Our book club is um, just our way of being able to talk about books that maybe you don't have enough time to attend a physical um book club maybe you you know I don't know have a work a strange schedule and you can never be to book club maybe you want some inspiration for good books and don't want to go find it on your own so you're looking for someone else to recommend who knows but we hope that it'll be a fun experience for us to talk about what we're reading and how it's impacting us and all of that so um Thank you so much for hanging with us for another episode. I really think you're going to enjoy this one with uh, Neil Brown. He was quite patient with us, and uh, we we asked him some pretty uh, detailed questions about our own personal situations with our 10-year-olds and things that were happening, and he gave us some great advice. So I I just – I know that you'll um, really enjoy his words of wisdom 
and his fatherly way of, of telling us uh, how we should <laughs> be avoiding some of these issues and problems that we're having with our tweens. So with that, make sure you, if you want to get a hold of his book or find him for his website information, all of that, you can head on over to the show notes at losethecape.com forward slash podcast forward slash 128. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of the Lose the Cape podcast, where we interview busy modern moms, people helping moms, and basically anyone who has something interesting to say that moms might be interested in hearing. Today, we are really excited to bring you a man, which we have only (laughs) done one time so far in our show. So we are very, very happy to talk to Neil Brown, who is a family therapist and author. Uh, He also is a podcast host. So um, do you go by Dr. Brown? No, I'm Mr. a Brown or just Neil? clinical social worker. Neil works great for me. Neil works great. Awesome. So Neil has worked with families, couples, and individuals for more than 30 years. Deeply steeped in the theory and practice of family therapy, Brown uses a simple yet profound method of empowering parents and their adolescent youth to put an end to destructive control battles for good. And all of us who have children ranging from about 18 months, some of us when they start younger than that, to, um, I don't know, 18 or 28, know this uh, power struggle and battle. So we're going to get into some of that and talk about his tips. Um, You can read his book, Ending the Parenting Control Battle, available at local booksellers, excuse me, and online. His podcast, The Healthy Family Connections, is available to download on iTunes, and I'm sure you guys are going to want to go check that out. You can find him at neildbrown.com, and we will have all of these included in our show notes at losethecape.com search Neil Brown. Um, okay, so thank you so much for being here. Um, Thanks for having me. Yes, we are excited. We started chit-chatting with you ahead of time, so we know what's in store here. And um, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, we, we, are, we are about to launch a book about the tween and teen phase. This is something of super interest to us right now trying to figure out how to get ahead of the game before we fall behind in this <laughs> in this scary zone of parenting. Good idea. <laughs> I, Good idea. I'm going to just be honest and feel like I have, uh, Alexa and I both have 10-year-olds, but you're, you're, you have a boy 10-year-old and I have a girl 10-year-old and I feel like I'm already behind at 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny that you say that. I had to, um, I had to take my son today. He is on uh, medicine for ADHD, a decision that we did not make lightly. Um, and you know, we we visit his doctor every three months to check things out. And we're sitting there, and he's reading the, the thing, and he says, "Hey, mom, what's this uh, vaccine that stops cancer?" And he's looking at the HPV vaccine. And he's like, what kind of, how do you get cancer and how does this cure it? And I was like, oh boy, I'm not ready to have the STD talk right now. And luckily the doctor came in and saved me from that question. But yeah, there's so much, so much to worry about for our kids in general. But then you bring in this whole like power struggle. And I just, I would, I would love for you to just kind of tell us a little bit about your work with families and teens, what the biggest issues you see are. We'll start there and then ask some more questions from there. Sure. Well, you know, power struggles are endemic, I think, to parenting with kids where parents are trying to get kids to do something and kids are 
not on board necessarily. And so there's always a little bit of conflict there. But control battles, the way I'm using the term, Alexa, has to do with when that pattern becomes so chronic and so self-perpetuating that the, that the relationship that this uh, parents pushing and kids resisting becomes such an event that it's now predictable and it almost becomes another member of the family. Mm-hmm. And uh, while that can happen at any age, uh, it's certainly uh, an invitation when kids get into adolescence because adolescence is that period of time when kids are moving towards their young adulthood. They're kind of moving in that over that bridge from childhood over here to young adulthood over there. And that's a place where they're going to need to start making their own decisions and forming their own identities and social uh, connections. And that means moving away from families and functioning more independently. Now, of course, we want that to be a gradual experience that's both uh, safe and sane, but, uh, but it, it invites that's, that uh, very challenging communication between parents and kids about how to get there from here. And very often when parents and teens get locked in a repetitive pattern, then that whole journey stops and it doesn't work very well. And kids don't grow uh, socially and they don't grow emotionally. They get off of that developmental curve and uh, parents and kids can be uh, caught in their tracks right there. Well, that does not sound like a good place. How do we avoid getting there? (laughs) Well, that's a good question. And of course, I wrote a book on the subject, so I know a little bit about it. (laughs) See the link in the show notes. (laughs) You might know a little bit. (laughs) Well, I think number one is is to get that perspective that really, what are we trying to accomplish here? Are we trying to get the kid to do this one thing? Or are we trying to help a kid cross that bridge from childhood to adolescence successfully. Uh, Once that negative pattern has occurred, it's very often going to have parents in a very frustrated, anticipating resistance kind of mindset. So they're going to, parents are going to come at things with their own tension and anticipating the negatives. And kids are going to expect parents to come at them with Uh, with negatives and expectations and standards. So those expectations start to run the show. And so what can parents begin to do? Well, that is a big question, but here's the very short answer. Number one, understand that the most important thing to do is to change the pattern. That's the number one thing we want to do. We want to defeat that pattern. And in the book, I refer to the pattern as the beast. So what we want to do is look at what behaviors feed the beast and what behaviors starve the beast. And when I have families in my office and doing counseling, I'll talk about the beast and then I can get kids and parents working together to starve the beast once they've identified that that is what's going on. Because both parents and kids want the same thing. Parents and kids want kids to be happy and successful. The question is, how are they going to get there working together? So my job is to help them align. So number one, they need to defeat the beast. How do they do that? Number one, they're going to change from a negative tone to a positive tone, and they're going to remember their kid is a fabulous kid. They're going to be a fabulous adult. They were a fabulous child. And let's just stay right there that we, our kid is an amazing, wonderful person. 
albeit an adolescent person, which is very different from a child and very different from a young adult, but a fabulous person all the same. And then number two is stop trying to get your kids to do stuff. Let kids figure out how, that they the ones that need to get them to do it. Just make sure that privileges, you know, those things that they take for granted, like electronics to group a, a large category of items, those things are earned. They're not entitlements. They're privileges. And how do you earn them? By managing your responsibilities and having a good attitude. <laughs> now, you said something very revolutionary in the whole um, age of millennials and helicopter parenting. <laughs> Let the kids figure it out how to do things on their own. Um, and that immediately brought the question to mind is what is the best advice that you can give to moms who have traditionally had a little bit of a closer hold on their child? How can they, uh, how can they kind of let that go as they, as their kid turns 10, 11, 12 and into the teen years? Yeah. Well, you're asking a really important question and you mentioned that you have a, a child with ADHD. And so anytime there's one of those elements, like a learning disability, ADHD, maybe spectrum, you know, something going on with a kid, parents want to resource that kid even more. Mm -hmm. And parents and kids develop even a closer relationship so that parent is really cutting the weeds ahead of their travel, trying right. to make it an easier path for them to negotiate. And when parents find themselves in that place, it's a little hard to step back because uh, they've been, and the kid has been used to mom or dad uh, blazing the trail for them and resourcing them. So kid gets a little lazy in terms of owning the responsibilities and parents take a, too much of ownership of that kid's responsibilities. So what parents are gonna need to do is say, let's remember whose responsibility this is. Let's remember who's the one with ADHD, it ain't me. <laughs> Someone's got HDA. Someone's going to have to manage it the rest of their lives. So you might as well figure out how to start managing it right now. You still have to get your work done. I'm, I'm happy to help you, but I'm not willing to sit down and fight with you to get you to do your homework. So if you want to do your homework, I'll help. But if you don't want to do your homework, that's up to you. You won't have any privileges. You're not getting on the computer. You're not getting on your phone. But it's up to you. So we have to remember that our kids are capable of a lot more than we give them credit for. Yeah. And when we get in front, we make their accomplishing, for instance, if you said tonight, I have to get my kid to do his homework tonight. Well, then whose job is it to get your kid to get to do his homework? Is it going to be your job or is it going to be his job? Right. If it's his job, it'll probably get done. If it's your job, you're going to be pushing a rope up a hill. Wow. I think I'm the opposite parent style as far Me too, as really. <laughs> we expect we probably expect we I know we do too much and we put maybe mm -hmm. too much pressure because we are so fearful of what the world will be like yep. when they are adults yep that we are like learn to do this learn to do this um you know you've got to do this or you're not going to survive so I and my daughter recently came to me and she says she broke down in school and she just started crying and she went off on her friend because her friend didn't understand something. And she was like, but you need to understand. And I'm like, Oh, 
I'm so sorry. Are we putting too much pressure? Uh-huh. So I feel like I'm my husband and I parent with a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. and we don't know how to release that because we we parent from fear, fear mm-hmm. of the future. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think a lot of parents experience that, Aubrey, and uh, I, I think that goes back to that. I said have a positive tone, but I, I think the broader message is have faith mm-hmm. that teenagers are teenagers. They're not adults. Right. They're not children, but they're not adults. And they're crossing over this bridge, this adolescent bridge to their young adulthoods. It takes time. And they're, you know, they're not going to have, they don't have the neurology to get it all right. They don't have the neurology to, to use a, appropriate judgment and figure out when to do this and when to do that. That's all going to come with time. One of the best things we can give our kids is faith in themselves and confidence in themselves. If you and your husband are fear-based in what you're trying to get them, well, then their kids are maybe going to grow up without that confidence that it's all going to be okay. So we want to let them know you're going to do fine. What you need is your best effort right now. That's all. If you give a thing your best effort, uh, you're going to get good results and you're going to learn a lot. Because when you invest in things and you give things your best effort, uh, your failures become learning experiences, your successes become learning experiences, and you're going to learn and grow. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I would say about that is that, you know, adolescence is such a time of social turmoil, social mm-hmm. emotional turmoil, that kids, it's, it's a real challenge to their self-esteem. And if, if we are lose faith in them, then we're inviting them to not have faith in, in themselves. So we want to, we want to, they, they need our faith in them in order to internalize that and hold that for themselves. So, um, did you have another question there, Aubrey? Didn't want to. No, that was okay. just a sigh of, wow. You don't want to, you just, you're, yeah, we don't want to mess them up. Well, well the, I wouldn't worry about that because, you know, lose the cape. You're not going to do it perfectly, right? <laughs> there no you go. You're going to give your kid your best and your best is pretty good. So this leads me to actually two follow-on questions because as Aubrey was talking, um, I think that there's a real difference with how we raise our boy adolescents and how we raise our girl adolescents because I see a huge difference in that with like my son. I feel a lot more relaxed to let him kind of figure things out and do things on his own. He's starting middle school. We're already talking about him riding his bike to school. I don't have any fear about that at all. Now, when my daughter, who's three years behind him, comes along like, I don't know how I feel about her riding the, her bike to school. As you know, So I think there's also a different, we, we approach things very differently based on whether it's girls or boys should we and how do we not if we shouldn't <laughs> if the, if you can go there with us because i mean it's it is it is it is different and i'm not a feminist versus you know but i i feel like and maybe i shouldn't i mean these days some of the stuff you see in the news we should be just as worried about our little boys as our little girls but mm-hmm. it's i don't know help well, <laughs> you do alexa you do want to raise empowered kids and you mm-hmm. want want your kids to grow up uh, feeling confident in themselves and with a, with a strong uh, comfort with their independence that's age appropriate and I think the you know if if you've got concerns for your daughter 
let's sit down and have some conversations with her explicitly about what those concerns are. And then let's have some conversations about how she thinks they're best handled. And mm -hmm. let's, let's, let's arm her to be able to go out into the world as, a, 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 as an empowered teenager and then an empowered young adult. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if we get into, oh, I've got a protector, well, then she's going to feel vulnerable and she's going to feel like she needs protection and she's not going to come out uh, in, an empowered, in an empowered way. Now, boys and girls are different, but even, you know, you can have a boy who's shy and sensitive and, mm -hmm. uh, and reluctant and clingy. And you can have a girl who's competitive and feisty and, right. you know, doesn't take it from anybody. Aubrey's five-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have we have no worries about her or my five-year-old no, for that matter. No. As, yeah. as teenagers, they will take the world by the horns. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think it's more about temperament than gender. Although sure. you know, I mean, I think girls are you know somewhat more at risk because they're seen as more vulnerable and they're seen right. and they're more easily targeted for that reason. But you know, boys can be targeted by other boys that uh, just want to. Uh, be bigger, stronger, and bully somebody, and uh, yeah. and and boys can be uh, have to face that world of someone wants to beat me up. Now what do I do? Yeah, that's a great yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah, Ruby is the beast. She would be the beast. She would be what we need to probably um, tame. And I and I I say this lightly, but totally honestly, I put so much pressure on Emma, the oldest, to do everything perfect, and she's always had rules, and she has chores. Ruby comes into this world, and I let her do whatever the heck she wants. <laughs> if she cries loud. We might need to I, have a therapy session just for Aubrey. I know, because I, I feel, well, I feel like I am not doing it. I'm not doing a good job for both of them, because I put so much pressure on one, and then the other one just gets to do whatever she wants, because she's she screams very loudly, and I just give in to that. Uh, uh, well, speaking, of the, speaking of the destructive control battles, okay, I, I can't wait to hear the answer to this one. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wondering what, what exactly is the question you want me to address there, Aubrey? I don't know. Am I, am I, I guess I just needed to get that off my chest as a mom that I'm very much harder on one yeah. than the other and and it's it's becoming apparent to my 10 year old and she i think she thinks we prefer or we love ruby more because we just let her do whatever she wants and emma's at that age where we're like like i said we expect a lot from her mm -hmm. well uh let's see i i think you know for one thing i think your younger daughter is going to need to learn that screaming and making a fuss is not a good substitute for conversation using your words and saying uh, and and talking about what you think and feel <laughs> so, her words would be very descriptive mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that's just loudly fine. they'd just be set very descriptive yeah. she knows she just screams them right <laughs> yeah well she's yeah. got her own temperament and we'll have to accept that about her and <laughs> that she is somehow sensitive and reactive uh, but you are going to want to work with her to find better ways to uh, state her objections, state her needs, <laughs> and and then be able to listen to limits and expectations from her mom too. Right. Yeah. 
I, I want to um, bring us back to the team conversation here because, you know, one of the things that we talk about with our Lose the Cape platform is that uh, we all need tools as parents, obviously. We're not judgmental of how people raise their children uh, as long as it's done safely and with love. We're all doing the best that we can, right? Exactly. Um, but it's really hard not to judge when somebody does things that are different than you. And I have to catch myself sometimes because I haven't, well, we are, we are 10 now we have a 10 year old. So we are safely in that tween zone and we're starting to get a taste of it, but I don't have a teenager yet. I'm not dealing with all of those things, but it's real easy to say, Ooh, I don't think she's doing that right. Or that maybe that's not the best way to handle their child. But one of the things that I'm curious about is this, uh, role definition between parent and child. Um, I always thought it was a bad idea to have parents that are like, quote unquote, best friends with their kids. And and the, the, the division between parent and child wasn't very obvious. But I have to admit, I'm, I'm starting to change my mind a little bit about that. And I can't wait to feel to hear your response to this. Because as I see what's going on in our world, and how important it is to have like, really open conversations with our with our kids um i mean discipline still needs to be there respect still needs to be there but i see the value of these really close relationships between parent and child because their children are coming to them and talking about sex and talking about drugs and talking about all the things that scare me to death so what what's your uh, perspective on that um how close should we be to our teens um and, and how do we, if we do have that close, like best friend relationship, how do we make sure that those boundaries are still in place that it's clear? Mm-hmm. You know, th- that's a, a really great question. I don't know if I've got an easy answer, but <laughs> I, I do want to encourage that if there isn't one relationship that you're going to have with your kid, okay. that there will be times when your teacher, mm-hmm. there will be times when their teacher Mm-hmm. There'll, uh, the, the relationship will always be in transformation, so it's always uh, a work in progress and a moving target. I think being close and having places where you really are friends, whether it's uh, a, 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 an activity that you always do together mm-hmm. or a meal you always prepare together uh, or a kind of a place or a way that you have intimate conversations about things that are on their mind. What I wouldn't want you to do, what I would say the kind of friend that you would have with Aubrey and the kind of friend you would have with a daughter would be different in that you're not going to reveal your own personal uh, intimate concerns about life or your own self, your own insecurities, except strategically or problems you're having with your life or your relationships, you want, we don't want our kids to be meeting those needs for us. We need Uh peers for that, but we do want to have ways that we can feel close uh, and and make it a place where it's safe for our kids to come to us and share. And we're not going to be judgmental. The other thing I would say is when kids come with questions before we give Mm -hmm. answers, invite them to share more about what their thinking is. In other words, they'll say, well, mom, what do you do about this? And they'll say, well, that's a really good question. What have you thought of so far? Mm-hmm. You know, and just let them talk. And sometimes them talking it out is, is the place where the truth lies. And then once they've said their, the truth, just they're insecure about it. So they're asking about it. And then you can just validate their 
responses and their answers. And that gives them a kind of faith in themselves and in their own judgment and their own problem solving. Mm -hmm. So I, I think uh, that's, I think one piece of advice when kids come with questions is not, don't make it our business to have all the answers. I mean, it's, of course, I mean, there are times when you are going to want to say, well, what about this? Have you thought about that? This could happen. What, do you, what would happen if you did this? And then you could invite discussions in a direction that they might not have thought of. So, of course, mentor, answer questions, but give them the chance to find the answer within themselves because that is really, then you've got double gold. They've got the answer and they found it themselves. Oh, that's great advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Parenting's just hard. <laughs> Isn't it though? It is hard. And you know, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one who says, I do not want to catch myself saying the things my parents said to me. Like I have never said, if you're going to cry, I'm going to give you something to cry about, which I heard <laughs> regularly as a uh -huh. child. Uh -huh. And one uh -huh. of the things that I don't want to hear myself ever saying is, just because I feel like it's so authoritarian and, 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 and maybe you can give us tools for better ways to approach these through your, uh, through ending the control battle is that as long as you're under my roof, you're going to do it in my way kind of thing. I mean, I don't know, maybe there's a time and a place for that, but I feel like, especially as they get cars and as they get more responsibility and they actually come to a point where they could actually leave the house and and I'll be honest my husband left his house when he was 16 he moved out for a while I don't want that to happen so how do we get how do we not let that happen what what is let's talk about your um about your method of empowering parents and their adolescent youth that you talk about in your book uh yipes um <laughs> I sorry, I, I I left a lot for you to unpackage there. So yeah, I, most kids are not going to want to move out of their parents' home unless there's something really not cozy about that. And yeah. uh, your kids aren't going to want to move out because they get it's just too comfortable. They're too well loved. It's just too safe a place, and uh, and the and the and the food is good and the bed is warm mm -hmm. and it's where love lives and acceptance lives. So, you know, kids will move out when they, uh, when they're not getting their needs met and it feels, uh, uh, and it feels uh, hostile or rejecting in, in a certain way. And then they figure, okay, well, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. And, and some kids will stay there in, in an environment that's unhealthy and, uh, and some kids will decide that they're going to, they're going to, go do it on their own and they develop some good survival skills, but survival skills aren't really the best skills for thriving in life. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Once you've developed a set of survival skills, that can become your default position. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we want uh, our kids to grow up comfortable being vulnerable, comfortable taking risks, comfortable shifting gears and going in new directions as appropriate. Uh, someone with survival skills is always going to be looking for the the disaster around the corner. They're going to over-prepare for disaster. They're going to stay closed. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to stay a little anxious. Uh, they're going to hoard money. You know, they're going to do things that are, uh, you know, that are going to make them feel safe in the short run, but aren't going to allow them to thrive in the long run, either uh, functionally as in, uh, 
you know, uh, financially or career-wise uh, or, or emotionally and relationship-wise. So we don't want our kids to develop survival skills per se. We want them to develop thrival skills is my newly invented word. Yeah, there you go. I love it. Thrival skills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I, yeah, I wouldn't worry about your kids moving out. I, I <gasps> may worry about them staying forever. That's right. the problem these days. <laughs> I mean, that really is more what we're concerned about these days is that uh, – housing costs and finding, getting started on one's career is a lot more difficult than it used to be. So you can even send your kid to college and have them come home and say, well, I got my degree. Now what? Yeah. You know, I, I'm a barista and that's not going to be Right. Exactly. You know? Well, yeah. I have to say, I'm, I'm not as much worried about them actually moving out as much as I am about getting to the point where we're having those head to head battles where that's the type of converse of, of verbiage that gets flung. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to move out. Well, as long as you're, as long as you're under my roof, you're going to live by my rules while well, I'm just going to move out. So, you know, that kind of, uh, mm -hmm. Uh, craziness, okay. power, power battle, I guess. Okay. So, so in my, in my book, I describe the three elements most commonly that feed the beast. And one is reactivity. And reactivity is when your kid says something, you counter it, they counter that, you counter this, and everyone's reacting to each other. But there really isn't a, a reasonable conversation going on. Mm -hmm. Right? So your kid says, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to move out. <laughs> well, that's not a pleasant thing to hear, but you can starve the beast by simply asking a few gentle questions. Wow, that's an interesting choice. What are, what are you thinking about? Well, if you're not going to let me do this, blah, 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 blah. Well, okay, well, let's talk about that because it's not that I'm not going to let you do this. It's that a, you have to earn it, and to earn it, you need to have your responsibilities done, and you and I need to have a relationship where I'm trusting that you can do that and make good decisions along the way, and we're not quite there yet, mm -hmm. so let's talk about how we can get there, and of course, the kid, that's, you're starting a reasonable conversation you're not going to get necessarily a reasonable conversation back. What your kid will do is storm off in a huff. But what didn't happen is you didn't get into that major control battle. You didn't fight with them. When right. a kid wants to start a fight, we don't have to go there with them. We can, it That's takes two to tango play. and it looks pretty silly when you're out there on the dance floor all by yourself. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's actually excellent advice for just about every element of life, isn't it? That that if somebody wants to engage in a fight, just stop it. <laughs> Let it be their engagement. And then you can be curious about what's going on with them. Hey, you seem really upset. Yes, of course, you're really upset that I'm saying no to this party. Yeah. I can understand it is upsetting because you're hearing no and you want to hear yes. And I can understand that. So what you do there is, A, you're not fighting. B, you're also validating their feelings. Yeah. They'd rather get what they want, but what they are getting is validation for their feelings. And that's a pretty nice thing to get if your parent can hear your feelings and care. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty So I think deal. it's, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is just kind of my theory because Alexa and I are about the same age. So we definitely came, I think, from a generation of parents who were reactive parents. Mm -hmm. So basically, we're trying to change our 
ways of what we grew up with because you know it's a cycle yeah i feel like i'm a reactive parent i'm gonna run away we'll do it see how far <laughs> you get you know and i've i've literally told that to my at some point we'll go ahead um because i know at nine and ten they're not actually gonna run away um or I will go get them. I'm not gonna let my. I'm not gonna let my children run away, people. Um, but I feel like we, we as parents, have to do some major changing to get past how we were parented. Maybe I, I just don't have a lot of friends who came from the. Let's talk it out. You know. Mm-hmm. So right. we're all learning how to get past right. that because we do want to be better parents. Not saying our parents were bad, but we are shifting into a different. Mm-hmm. world and a different thought process and in order for them to succeed they can't be reactive like mm-hmm. we are mm-hmm. so are there any tips on for us to get over that because it's hard even though I step back and I say don't do that I catch myself because mm-hmm. I said so mm-hmm. just do it mm-hmm. because I know what's right I'm the parent mm-hmm. I don't always know what's right though <laughs> uh, well of course you don't none of us do and you know, I, I think in our culture today, th- and in families, there's less hierarchy than they used to be, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if our parents told us we needed to do something, we didn't usually argue back a whole heck of a lot, um, unless you wanted your your bottom, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. spanked. Which and we're not allowed not... to use that word anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we don't. We don't talk about spanking anymore. No. Uh, <laughs> no. And you I mean, know, yeah. my my profession is telling everybody: love your kids, hug them, mm-hmm. give them lots of support, and uh, and where in that do they say and hold the line with limits? Right. Uh, that's you know that's usually the last thing that's said, and and very often I think we make the mistake of thinking that if we just love our kids to death, that they're just going to be fine. <laughs> kids do need limits mm-hmm. and they and and we all set limits in our own reactive in the moment way we don't always have a cheat sheet in front of us with the f- five bullet points that you always need to follow when setting limits with your kids sometimes you just say no knock it off now i said so cut it out and that's what we'll do and that's normal and kids survive with that and they grow up to be beautiful human beings the problem is when these things become chronic and when uh, we're chronically in a negative tone, when our kids are chronically uncooperative mm-hmm. and our kids are now uh, seriously underperforming in school and it feels like we're, we're always got a tiger by the tail, you know, then that's when we want to say, you know what, this really requires a reset for our parenting. That's when we really have to hit the reset button, take a step back, and really change our approach, right? And I, I, do you go through this approach in your book? I do. So if we talk about, you know, what feeds the, we talk about what a control battle is, and we talk about what feeds the beast. And I ma- mentioned reactivity. A negative tone is another one that feeds the beast because that sends a message like I'm against you mm-hmm. when setting limits is just my way of being for you. I need, you know, I, I want to raise, I, I have to do my job as parent. I need for you to be uh, responsible and safe. And I'm going to set limits around issues where uh, it's not responsible and it's not safe mm-hmm. or affordable or moral. 
Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All kinds so, of limits. Yeah, so we, we are going to be setting limits in those ways, but it's not because we're against them. So we can, so to change that, that pattern using a positive tone, validating feelings is another one. And then the other thing is, and this is what I said earlier about you can't get your kid to do something. It's your kid that has to get to do something. Don't be so other person focused. Mm. And that's what I call that is trying to change another person. As long as we're trying to change another person, their job is going to be to resist our efforts to create change. It's so funny that you should talk about this now, because I think in all of us adults, um, uh, there resides an adolescent still. <laughs> I found myself getting into an argument with somebody yesterday, as a matter of fact, and that advice is so true. You, you can't, you cannot change another person and it's ridiculous to get into an argument that's, that's trying to do that. So good advice for parents, for, for friends, for family, for all of us, you know, don't be so other person focused. So my question would be then, if you get into an argument like that, where you feel like you're really trying to make a point and really trying to get them to understand your perspective, um, you know, how, how do we shift that so that they, our child understands why it is that we're so emotional or passionate or, or focused on that particular change? Mm-hmm. Well, you're, uh, you're opening up a, an important question and that is you know how do we get kids to listen mm-hmm. and uh and if we're if we speak to an audience that doesn't isn't open then that's going to be very frustrating for us and we might raise our voices and keep trying and repeating mm-hmm. ourselves and inviting the beast so that's not a good thing so you might start by helping them feel understood first okay tell me what you're thinking and feeling and then having received that and acknowledged their thoughts and feelings in a, in a kind and validating way, then you could ask permission. You could say, I'd like to share what I'm thinking about this and why are, are you interested in hearing that? If the answer is no, well, then don't share it. They still have the limit and they still aren't going to do what they want to do and they're still going to need to meet your expectations if they want their privileges. And there, uh, there, I think that you hit the nail on the head right there is making sure that it's all tied it's to all tied, all tied together. Yeah. Right. And, and, and you could even make listening and acknowledging part of that. So for, for instance, let's just say uh, your kid, one of the things that you're upset about is your kid is constantly being uh, disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're talking in a disrespectful tone. They're negating everything you say. And one of the things you could say is, look, before we go forward with any privileges, I'm going to need to know that you know how to talk in a respectful tone with me and that you know how to listen to what I'm sharing with you. And I'm going to need to feel listened to. Just like I'm trying to help you feel listened to, I'm going to need to feel listened to too and respected. So I'm going to share some things and I'm going to need to know that I'm being listened to. And if you can do that, then we can talk about privileges. If you can't do that, then I don't have a kid I can trust. And if I don't have a kid I can trust, well, that's the secret of independence, isn't it? Mm-hmm. This may be a question you can't answer because it's just live. Okay, so 
we've we've had these battles of respect here lately um with both both children i mean i can be talking and they'll walk off and i'm like did you just walk off uh, and my kids are great i promise they a's in school never a problem with the teachers so you know i don't have disrespectful children except to me so i've cried i've begged i've cussed um i've done the whole let's talk this out you're hurting my feelings you know how many times do i have to keep doing this before it's gonna sink in because it's not working that's right so, yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I mean, it it's it doesn't do us much good to talk to an audience that uh, is not listening. So I would yeah. make sure you have their attention before you waste your breath. Okay. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's like so, I said. So lead with the privileges, maybe. Lead the lead with the privileges. If you want to ride your horse today, or if you want to play right. on your phone today, or whatever, is that what you would suggest to get their attention? Sure. Before we go forward, I'm gonna, we're going to need to have a conversation and I'm going to need to share some things and you're going to need to hear them. Sure. Tell you me know, when you're ready. Yeah. And, and I would say this is something that I'm just learning um, going through counseling with my spouse, actually, but I can see how it would be very applicable to this as well, is that it takes practice. Like what you're saying to, to us right now makes perfect sense. And when we go into our family counseling sessions, what our therapist says makes perfect sense. And then he'll turn it and he'll say, okay, so you express what you wanted to express doing just what I just told you to do. And it's hard. It's hard. It's very, it makes very, it makes so much sense when someone, you hear someone else saying it. And then when it's your turn to actually do it, it's, it's really difficult. So yeah, you're making a really important point, And that is that changing our behavior is very hard to do. Mm -hmm. And, and, and even if you can change it once in the counseling office, it's hard to take that out into the world. It's, it's new territory. It's not familiar to us. Mm -hmm. And so it is going to take practice. Yeah. yeah. And once you do it enough times, then you'll, you'll find you'll, you'll beat a new path and that'll be the new you. Yeah. And it's come and it feels completely unnatural. So Aubrey, if that's not the way you've been talking to your girls, it's going to feel really strange the first couple times you try and do it. But eventually <laughs> the, the tactics willing. works. I will tell I will tell you though, that when we are, when we actually implement, I mean, these, these guys, they're pretty smart. These therapists, they've had a few times around the block with these techniques. <laughs> and when you actually implement them, they, they do work. They do work. But I think the interesting thing is just how different life is when you do actually communicate openly and calm the beast, as you say, and don't allow the beast, because we all know it. We know it from the receiving end that once somebody gets to that crazy point, you're, sh you're, you're done. You're not listening when somebody's screaming at you and being ugly. So why would our children listen to us when we're, when we're at that phase too? Right, right, exactly. So what kind of stuff do you cover on your podcast? So if people want more, they can, they can head your direction. Well, I've uh, been answering questions from listeners. So it goes uh, the full gamut. Uh, it's been uh, young adults and when is supporting your young adult uh, a good thing and when is it enabling behavior? Uh, mm -hmm. It goes to in-laws and <laughs> setting limits with your in-laws. Uh, it goes to uh, when your kids are arguing or parental burnout. Uh, 
um, I'd have to go look at my list. It seems like it's almost every aspect of, uh, of relationships, husbands and wives and negative cycles that they get into that undermine uh, intimacy, mm-hmm. emotional intimacy in relationships, uh, secrets of intimacy, getting emotional needs met. What are emotional needs? How do you get them met? Sibling relationships. Uh, and I just finished uh, one on uh, on bullying because October is uh, is Bullying Awareness Month, and I just did a podcast. I, I, I may do some more, but I had a question from a listener wondering, how do I know if my kids are being bullied at school? You know what? I am so putting that in the show notes and going to listen to it the next time I pull up a podcast because um, – we're going through some of that. I mean, I think it's kind of natural, but you were describing different kinds of children. And my son is a very sensitive, uh, sweet, wonderful child. And sometimes that leads to him getting picked on. So mm-hmm. I'll be checking that one out for sure. Cause my husband thinks I overreact that just as an example, they, some of the kids started voting people off the Island at lunch. Basically mm-hmm. they're and all sitting at a table and they started one of the, one of the more rambunctious kids was like if you had to vote someone off who would it be and everyone started saying my son's name and I'm like he's getting bullied and my husband's like calm down (laughs) so 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 I'm listening to that episode and sharing it for sure but um well we will make sure that people can find I'm sure I'm sure our moms are going to have some questions for you and um do they just email them to you or how do people get questions to you they go on to my website, neildbrown.com forward slash submit. Okay, and great. there goes their question right there. If they want to communicate with me, my email is available on my website and people can uh, email me directly. Great. Yeah. I will That's be doing awesome. some parent training uh, opportunities will be coming up. So uh, parents might want to join that. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's going to be like, um, can you please b- block Aubrey Alexa from submitting questions? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's Aubrey and Alexa again. <laughs> oh, it'd be my be pleasure. <laughs> Girls, it'd be my pleasure. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this has been a great interview. I mean, for me, I'm sorry if it turned into a, Aubrey, your kids sound like they're horrible. No. (laughs) No, your kids sound fabulous. (laughs) They are fabulous. They are super fabulous. Mm -hmm. Um, And their mom is struggling with the juggle of all things right now. Well, I think, you know, you are exemplifying what I think a lot of parents feel is a lot of anxiety and apprehension and fear about the Mm -hmm. world that they're bringing their kids into. And, uh, and we have to be cautious about that. Our kids are going to do fine and, uh, and maybe they'll even make it a, a better, safer, saner world than the one that we're delivering to them. So I have faith in that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's a great positive message to end it on. So mm-hmm. thank yes. you very much, Neil, for your time today. I'm sorry. We're a little bit cuckoo with our questions. Sometimes. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I love you guys. <laughs> great. Thanks, Neil. Have a great day. Thank you.